What do you do when you don't know what to do? Today we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And you know Israel faced this exact same situation. Word came to them that an army was coming to fight them where Israel was far outnumbered and completely overwhelmed. And King Jehoshaphat said in verse 11, we're powerless. And he said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Friends, that's one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. And God gave them the strategy for winning this incredible battle. Well, today on Awaken to Grace, this is part one of a new series entitled, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. And we're going to study throughout this series, what do you do when you are overwhelmed? What do you do when Satan comes against your life? He comes against your family. Well, we're going to learn many principles, many strategies on how we can overcome and how ultimately the battle does belong to the Lord. I'm so glad you're joining me today on this episode of Awakened to Grace. So we're going to talk today about King Jehoshaphat. Sadie wanted me to entitle today, Jumping Jehoshaphat, which I'm not going to do. I'm going to call today what to do when you don't know what to do. Have you ever been there in life? Has there ever been a storm that came to you? Ever had trouble, began to brew, and you didn't know what to do? Israel found themselves in this situation, and King Jehoshaphat says, actually, in verse 12, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I want to talk today. I want to see what God's strategy is when a battle forms against us, when Satan comes against your marriage, when Satan attacks your health, when Satan attacks your children and your grandchildren, when Satan attacks your employment or your income or your finances. I want to talk about what do you do when you don't know what to do. The Bible gives us a crystal clear strategy in this chapter. Let's begin in verse 1. The Ammonites, the Moabites, began to form themselves against Israel. They're going to come against Judah and King Jehoshaphat, and they are going to prepare for battle. Verse number two, men come to King Jehoshaphat and say, you don't know this, but you've got trouble on your hands. There is a mighty war, there is a mighty battle forming. There is a great multitude, the Bible calls it later in the chapter. They call it a great horde. I mean, this is a mighty army that's coming against God's people. And King Jehoshaphat, verse three, becomes very afraid. But we're going to study today, what does he do with that fear? What does he do when he didn't know what to do? I remember so vividly in 2017, I sat in a doctor's chair at the retina specialist. 
And I'll never forget as the doctor come in and he sat down. I had been in Central America training pastors. We had hiked an extremely large mountain. I'm not a hiker, so any mountain is large to me. But this one was for real, really big. It overlooked the border in Honduras. And we were hiking to a Christian radio tower that had been built and dedicated. We not only got to the top of the mountain, we then hiked the top of the tower. And when I got to the top of the tower, like a spider web, blood vessels burst all within my eye. It was like, it was in my left eye, and it was like seeing a spider web of blood. You can imagine the fear that came into my heart. I preached through that trip and come home, went to a retina specialist. And I'll never forget when he walked in his office and I was sitting in his chair. And he sat down and he said, so trouble is brewing, huh? Yeah, it was. I don't know if you've ever faced a storm. I don't know if you've ever faced a battle. I don't know if the life has ever pulled the rug out from under you or blindsided you. But I think most of us know what it is to be in a place where literally we don't know what to do. This is where King Jehoshaphat found himself. And today we're going to see what he did. We're going to see the steps that they took. Look at verse number three with me. When he became very afraid, I want you to note number one today. He immediately turned to the Lord. The Bible does not mention any of his generals. The Bible doesn't mention any of the military. The Bible doesn't mention any of their politicians. The Bible says that he turned to the Lord. What did he do? He entered into prayer. He entered into fasting. And verse number four, all of Judah came together. They assembled themselves together. And what was the purpose? To seek the help of the Lord. Is anybody with me today? Where do you go when you find yourself in trouble? Do you go to other people? Where do you go when you need encouragement? Where do you go when you need strength? Where do you go? Do you find yourself going to the Lord first? I remember when I was young in my faith and I had faced a storm. I had faced some kind of crisis. It was so big. I don't even, I, I don't even remember what it was today. <laughs> but in the moment, it was really big, right? And today, I don't even remember what it was. But I remember I began to call people that I know I would dial someone. Hey, I knew they prayed. And I'd say, will you pray for me? I'm facing this. I'm going. This is before I was ever a pastor. And I probably called five or six people. I remember sitting there, tapping my finger. And I asked the Lord, who else can I call? And I remember very sweetly, but very swiftly, the Holy Spirit said, Chad, how about me? You have what? You've called everybody you know, but you've not prayed to me. 
You've not asked me. And what does the Bible say? Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you the great and hidden things that you do not know. Are we not prone to do that? We'll turn to everyone else before we turn to the Lord. Someone aptly said, God in many ways is like a spare tire. We're glad it's there. We just hope we don't have to ever use it. Do you see God that way? Do you see prayer that way? Is prayer the last place that you go? No, what we learn from King Jehoshaphat is God was not the last one he went to. God was the first one he went to. Amen. And you and I would do well to adapt to that. And how did he approach the Lord? Through prayer, through fasting, and through seeking the help of the Lord. Friends, there are some of you right now, you have decisions that you need to make, and you would do well to pray and fast. Some of you are praying about the decision, but you need to add fasting. Some of you are up against a struggle right now. Some of you are facing an addiction today. Some of you are facing decisions today. You're facing things that are bigger than you, bigger than what you can solve, bigger than what you can figure out. If God doesn't intervene, if God doesn't turn things around, then what hope is there, friends? You need to be fasting. You need to add fasting to your seeking of the Lord. So verse 4, all of Judah comes. They assemble themselves for the purpose of seeking help from the Lord. Let me remind you, my friend, we are not self-sufficient. And neither does God expect us to be self-sufficient. The book of Jeremiah tells us, my people have committed two evils. Jeremiah 2.13, they have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What's that mean? That means we were never designed to be self-sufficient. It's okay to ask the Lord for help. It's okay to seek God for help. And let me tell you a play out of Satan's playbook. You'll begin to Ask the Lord to help you, and Satan at times will make you feel guilty for that. Oh, don't bother God with that. Oh, don't bother the Lord. Oh, don't go to God. Don't take that. That's a small thing. That, that no, you, do, you deal with that on your own. Friends, that's a lie of the enemy. Ask the Lord for his help. For the Bible says he is a present help. Amen. Verse 5. King Jehoshaphat goes into the house of the Lord, and he is going to seek the Lord. And let me tell you, verses 6 to 12 may be one of my most favorite prayers in the entire Bible. Notice verse 6. How does he approach the Lord? Well, first of all, he's got the order right. Look what he tells the Lord. He says, you are God in heaven, and you rule over the nations of the earth. Friends, do you see the divine order there? Let me tell you, no matter what you're facing today, no matter what you may potentially face in the coming weeks, months, or years, no matter what you and I face on this earth, God is above it all. He reigns supreme. 
He is sovereign over every circumstance, over every situation, over every trouble, over every sorrow, out of every disappointment. Let me tell you, God is sovereign over every bit of it. And when you understand the divine order that God is God alone in heaven and he rules and he controls and he has dominion over everything on the earth. Well, my friends, that's when you'll begin to pray with a greater confidence. I love the divine order that you are God in heaven. And think about it. They have an army that way outnumbers themselves. There is no hope. There is no military strategy. And what does he say? You rule over them. For who can resist you? Power and might and strength are in your hand. Who can resist you? Do you see that before he ever lays out the need, before he ever lays out his petition, what does King Jehoshaphat do? He magnifies the Lord. See, you and I, we get our order reversed. We magnify our troubles. And then we try to talk to the Lord about it. No, see, King Jehoshaphat, he magnified the Lord and then he brought his troubles to the Lord. What a great divine order. Do you have the right perspective of God? Or do your problems, your circumstances today, your difficulties today, do they seem much larger than the Lord God Almighty? If they do, You got the wrong perspective today. Reverse the order and get the biblical perspective. I love verses 7 and 8. Because after, listen, this this is how we learn to pray. After King Jehoshaphat honors the Lord and magnifies the Lord and puts him in the rightful place, then he reminds God of his great faithfulness. Friends, I don't know if you've ever been taught this. I don't know if you've ever really considered this. But do you know that God loves to be reminded of his word? You know, God loves to be reminded of his promises. God loves it when you go back and recount and recall all of God's faithfulness in your life. Oh, the Lord delights in it. Now, we are not to manipulate the Lord. That doesn't mean that you go to God and say, God, I'm going to need you to do this because your word says this. And so you have to do this because it. No, that's manipulation. You don't manipulate the Lord. But let me tell you, it's something when you go before the Lord and you say, Lord, I know you're faithful. I know. I know what your word says, God. Your word says that you are a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. Lord, I know I'm safe in you. Lord, I know that you're a present help in the time of my trouble. Lord, I know you're near me. I know your mercies are renewed every morning. Oh, my friends, it is a good thing to tell the Lord, to remind the Lord of his promises. The Lord delights in it. Does Scripture not say, does God not say, come and let us reason together? Do you ever reason with the Lord? Do you ever... Communicate with God in that way. Pray in such a way. Oh, God, you've never failed me and you never will. And I trust you right now. Remind God of his covenant. Remind God of his word. Remind God of his great promises. So verse 5, he goes to the house of the Lord to seek help. 
Verse 6, what a remarkable prayer he begins to pray. Verses 7 and 8, he reminds God of his faithfulness to the forefathers and to Israel, to his friend Abraham. And I love verse 9. Now, you know I can't see you, so let me know if you're with me right now. Say amen if you're with me, because I love verse 9. Let's pay close attention to verse 9. Verse 8, he says, Our forefathers, they built this sanctuary. They built this house for you. And listen what Israel knew. Listen to verse 9. If disaster comes, (laughs) sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, if disaster comes to us, Listen to what he says. In essence, he says, we know what to do. He says, your name is in this place. Your name is in your house. And so what's the result? We will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear us, and you will save us. Oh, friends, you ought to memorize that verse. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what comes into your life. God will hear you and he will rescue you. The Bible says his eye is on the righteous. His ear is open to our cry. And do you have that view of God? Lord, no matter what catastrophe I face, no matter what disaster may touch my life, you are sovereign and you are in control. Is that your view of God? Because that's the Bible's view. I got up early this morning. I was sipping my coffee, eating my apple. (laughs) I like apples with my coffee. I don't know. But I was sipping my coffee this morning and I began to think over the scripture how God's name was in his temple. God's name was in that house. And the Holy Spirit began to minister to me. And the Holy Spirit began to say, Chad, remember, don't forget, you are the temple. Of the Holy Spirit. My name is over you. My name is on you. And now when you pray. Listen. Listen. When you face disaster. When you face attacks of the enemy. Let me remind you child of God. God's name is at stake. Amen. His reputation is on the line. And that's why God won't fail you. That's why God's not going to leave you out on your own. That's why you can turn to to God with confidence. Why? Because God's name is on you. His name is on the line. His reputation is on the line. And I love how King Jehoshaphat says, listen, it's not our name. It's not us. Lord, your name is in this place. And we'll cry out to you in our affliction. You'll hear us. And you'll save us. What a promise out of the word of God. So. Verse 11. Look what he says. We're powerless. There are no angles to be made here. There's no. uh, Lord, we we have no options. We are powerless against this army. And look at verse 11. 12, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Friends, right now, that's my greatest prayer in the Bible. That's my favorite prayer in the Bible. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
What a prayer. And so, verse 13. This is very important. Don't miss this key principle. So they began to seek the Lord. And who was present? Their wives and their little ones. I love this. You know what the Lord began to minister to me? The Lord began to take me back in my memory bank. The Lord began to remind me of how I grew up and what I saw in the faith of my mom. Let me tell you, my friends, there were many times that I remember walking into a room as a little boy to find my mom on her face weeping before the Lord. And I wouldn't interrupt her. And I wouldn't say anything. But I would just watch for a few minutes. And I would watch her cry out to God. I remember very distinctly one time, I was a little boy. I don't remember how old I was, but I was very young. And I remember we went to the grocery store and she had some coupons and we didn't have very much at all. And I remember before we went in, she said, Chad, let's pray together and let's ask God to help us. Let's ask him to show us deals and to make our money stretch. Let's ask him to show us things that we wouldn't have seen. And let's ask God to help. Praise God. Amen. Here's my point. Do your little ones see you trust God? Does your spouse, are they involved in your seeking of the Lord? As a family, do you seek the Lord together? Do you walk in faith together? Do your kids ever catch you praying? Do you talk openly about your trust in the Lord? Friends, I want to invite, you should invite your family into your faith and let it be open and let them see how you walk with the Lord. Can we say amen to that today? So here they assemble. Now, friends, they're in trouble. A storm is coming. Trouble is brewing. They have no options. They have no help. They have no other alternative. They have the Lord, and that's all. So they assemble. Verse 14, look what happens. The Spirit of God comes. My friends, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the world. The Spirit of God makes all the difference. The Spirit of God came on the man of God, on this prophet, In verse 15, I want you to note carefully what does the man of God tell King Jehoshaphat and all of the people of Judah? What does he tell them? The battle is not yours, but is what? God's. (laughs) The battle is not yours, but is God's. Friends, let me tell you, that's a word for us today. That is a word for you today. The battle is not yours, but is God's. Verse 16, I absolutely love this. The Holy Spirit. See, what did I say? The Spirit of God makes all the difference. Is the Spirit of God in your home? Is the Holy Spirit welcomed in your family? Is He among the dinner table? Is He in your living room? Is He among... Your household, the Spirit of God will make all the difference. And look what the Spirit of God did. 
he tells them precisely where they're going to find the enemy. I love this because you know what that means? That means the Holy Spirit blew the element of surprise for the enemy. This great army thought they were going to come upon Israel. They thought they were going to ambush them and surprise them. And the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. Let me tell you, this is exactly where they're camped. You're going to get up tomorrow morning. You're going to go exactly. You're talking about a precise GPS. The Holy Spirit told them exactly where to go. Friends, do you know the Holy Spirit will keep you ahead of the curve in life? If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awaken to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcasts, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakentograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awaken to Grace.